This is day 15 of our daily Bible reading. Today we are reading Exodus chapters 7 through 10 and Psalm chapter 15. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence this morning. As we enter into your word, where we see miracles abound, Lord, help us to remember that miracles still happen today. Miracles happen around us all the time. Every time a child is conceived and born, it is a miracle. Anytime you change a heart of an individual, it is a miracle. Anytime we witness blessings occur in our lives, we see miracles, Lord. Perhaps there is spiritual or physical healing that we have seen in our own lives and the lives of others, and they are indeed miracles. Help us, Lord, to understand that while you do not publicly demonstrate your miracles in the same way you used to, help us to remember today that you are still active in your creation, and you are not done with us yet. Please help us understand what we are reading today. Allow your Holy Spirit to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them. Thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water, and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile, and you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. 
Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their streams, and over their pools, and over all their reservoirs of water, that they may become blood. And there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded. And he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern even for this. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the Nile. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed, and to the houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come up on you, and your people, and all your servants. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up, and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, and said, Entreat the Lord that he will remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, the honor is yours to tell me, when shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? Then he said, Tomorrow. So he said, May it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They will be left only in the Nile. 
Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. The Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields. So they piled them in heaps, and the land became foul. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff, and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Now the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they dwell. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will occur. Then the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and in the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of the swarms of flies in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we will sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not then stone us? We must go a three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Make supplication for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I shall make supplication to the Lord, that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh, 
and made supplication to the Lord. The Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the fields, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. The Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the land of Egypt, and will become boils, breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils, breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still, you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail, such as not had been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety, 
every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, when the hail comes down on them, they will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh, who feared the word of the Lord, made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that hail may fall on all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and on every plant of the field, throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as had not been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were ruined, but the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined, for they ripened late. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and rain no longer poured on the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart he and his servants. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, Behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. 
They shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what is left to you from the hail. And they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out in the field. Then your houses shall be filled, and the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go! Serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, Thus may the Lord be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go. Take heed for evil is in your mind. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts nor would there be so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land, so that the land was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once, and make supplication to the Lord your God, that he would only remove this death from me. He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts, and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness 
in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me! Beware! Do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, You are right. I shall never see your face again. Psalm chapter 15, a psalm of David. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but he who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Okay, let's review what we read today. In the book of Exodus, we have a very famous account in Scripture of Moses and Aaron confronting Pharaoh about letting the people go. And this goes back and forth, back and forth, several times, in which Pharaoh does not want to let the people go in his stubbornness and in his pride. And all of this is done intentionally. God is not shy in telling us why he did this. And he also tells Pharaoh why he's doing this. And he flat out tells them why he's doing it. He's doing it so that Egypt will fear the Lord. But not only that, but the entire world will know that he is God. There's no wonder that this story remains in our text today as not only a historical event, but also the magnitude in which it happened is unmatched. You never see anything at this scale in all of human history. It is amazing what goes on here. And rightly so. God is to be feared. He is to be worshipped because he is the only God. There are no other gods besides him. And he makes it very clear that this is the case. There is no other God lowercase g, that has ever demonstrated any supernatural ability like this. And even if we were to ask them, they wouldn't do it, because they are not real. 
So throughout the course of this event, it gets progressively worse and worse and worse the more that Pharaoh and his people resist God. And so this is an illustration to us as well that things get progressively worse for us if we disobey God, even as believers. He does give us grace, and he doesn't treat us the same way as an unbeliever. But there are still consequences to our actions, and God will chasten us. He will discipline us as he sees fit. So we need to make sure that we give God the reverence and the respect that he deserves. So before we go to the section that is famously called the Ten Plagues of Egypt, Moses and Aaron start on a smaller scale at God's instruction. They go before Pharaoh and his magicians, and they throw their staff down, and it turns into a serpent. But what's interesting is that the magicians are also able to do it. How are they able to do this? Well, don't forget who is giving them power. The powers of evil that give them strength are demons, or Satan himself. Remember that demons are angelic beings. They were once angels that were in heaven, and they were cast down because they rebelled against God. So even though we don't fully understand all the things about angels, we do know that they are powerful and that they are able to manifest supernatural things through their influence. And no wonder, since all black magic is demonically powered. So in this case, the magicians are receiving their power from demons. So no, this is not a situation where a magician used a sleight of hand or pulled a rabbit out of a hat kind of thing. Those are tricks that have a science behind them and can be explained through deception. But this is something of a supernatural nature. They were able to match whatever Moses and Aaron were able to do. But I want you to notice something. Notice what happened between those serpents, though. There were multiple serpents of the magicians, but there was only one serpent that came from Moses and Aaron. And what happened to the serpents when they interacted with each other? The serpent from Moses and Aaron devoured the rest of them. This is important to note because this is a demonstration of the power of God. Demons do have power. They do have influence over this world. They do give their strength and their supernatural ability to humans that have in a, in a sense, sold their souls to them. But none of them are even close to matching God. God created them at one point. And so because he is their creator, he is infinitely greater than them. So no, they can do all these parlor tricks, and they can match some of what God can do. But not only does God define the limitations, but he is infinitely greater than them. So you can have millions upon millions of demons against God, and God won't even bat an eye at him. That is how powerful he is next to them. So at first, it might be a little discouraging for Moses and Aaron because they matched the serpent. When they did the plague of blood, the magicians were able to do it too somehow. Then when the frogs came out, the magicians were able to match that too. 
But when it came to the third plague, where the dust became gnats, notice what the magicians do. They try, and they recognize that this is out of their league, that this is beyond their ability. And so they tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They admitted their powerlessness, and they openly acknowledged the power of God. This shouldn't really surprise us, though, because in light of who God is, they will always fail. But think about the New Testament. Think about when a demon would interact with Jesus Christ. They knew exactly who he was, and they were afraid of him because they knew that he was God. And because he's God, he had the power over them to do as he wanted with them. What were some of the things they said? They said, please don't cast me out, or please don't send me into the abyss. They knew that God had the power to condemn them and cause destruction to them, and they were afraid of him. Demons fear the Lord, at least to a certain degree, but unfortunately, they don't fear the Lord enough to obey him. So while they may have respect and acknowledgement of his power and his authority over them, they still have chosen to defy him. And you get the sense of this illustration as well in this text. So once the magicians are out of their league, then things get progressively worse. There's the plague of flies. There's the plague of disease on the livestock. There's the plague of boils or terrible sores on man and beast. There's the plague of hail mixed with fire, which must be a sight to behold. Then you have locust swarms at a scale never before seen on the face of the earth. And this is coming from somebody like me who has seen videos on YouTube where you see locust storms come. They look like a giant black cloud coming into an area, and they do indeed destroy all the vegetation. It is plague-like levels in some parts of the world, especially like India and, and Indonesia and places like that. But if you think that's bad, this is a hundred times worse than anything we've seen on YouTube. So this was devastating. It was so much locusts that you couldn't even see the ground. Everything was black. That's how bad it was. And then you have the ninth plague, which is the plague of darkness. Well, this is a very different kind of darkness. Because God said that it was a kind of darkness that could be felt. So no, we should not interpret this as God disrupting the axis of the earth in such a way that Egypt was unable to get sunlight for three days. That's not how we should see this. But what we should see is that this was some kind of supernatural darkness. It was as if, how the way it's described here, that even if they tried to light torches or candles, things like that, that they couldn't. It didn't have any effect. And yet, the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were, they were able to do it. So there's something very unique about this darkness, that they were just in pitch black for three days. Part of me makes me wonder if these three days are a foreshadowing of the three days that Jesus is in the grave, 
but I don't know that for sure, but it could be alluding to that, especially with what's coming next, with how the Passover lamb was sacrificed. It would make sense, but I don't know that for a fact. But it was something that caught my eye as I was reading this. Now, the last thing I wanted to address in this text today was the sovereignty of God at play here. We see many times through these plagues that Pharaoh hardened his heart, meaning that he held fast to his stubbornness and he refused to budge on how he felt about things. He refused to let the Israelites go. And the few times that he said, take it away and I'll let you go, he backtracked on that, or he tried to put conditions on their request. Well, you men can go, but leave your families behind. Or the people can go, but you leave your livestock behind. It had to be done on his terms. He refused to let go of that. But God reminded him time and time again that it's not about you. I am vastly superior to you. You will obey me. And he still, to the very end, refused to let people go. That is at least until the final plague, where he finally had enough, he finally submitted. And even then, he didn't completely give up either, because after they left, he chased after them. But what I want you to notice is that there are times that it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, right? But it does also say that God hardened his heart. Well, hold on a minute. Are you telling me that God reinforced his stubbornness? That somehow God caused him to hold fast to his stubbornness? Absolutely, he did. So you're telling me that God has some sovereign power over me as an individual? Over my very mind and soul? Yes, that is exactly right. And unfortunately, I've met several people in my life that struggle with this ideology. And these issues revolve around the idea of God's sovereignty, as well as our concept of what free will is. So in this particular case, this is demonstration that God is completely sovereign over every aspect of his creation, including you and me. If at any time he chose to override us and cause us to do something contrary to what we would normally do, he will do it. Is this so foreign a concept? Not really, especially if you're a Christian. You would know this better than most. Why? Because your salvation was not of your own doing, right? I didn't ask to be saved. God didn't give me the option to be saved. But instead, by his divine grace, he chose to save me and transform me into a child of God, just like the rest of you. I didn't ask for it. I didn't demand it. I didn't get the option of saying no. It happened to me because God willed it to be. And praise God that he did, right? Because if I had the option of saying no, being the idiot that I am, I probably would have said no. And what I find the most disturbing of all, even in Christian circles, is how people don't like this doctrine. Why is it such a problem for you that God is able to override you? It is in the grace of God that he has 
let you live and brought you to where you are today. And he's the one who brought you into salvation. By your own strength of what we call free will, you would never have chosen that for yourself. You would never have seen God clearly on your own power. So praise God that he does override us. Praise God that he can exercise his sovereignty in us, because otherwise we would be doomed. So I don't know why we struggle with this. Is it because of pride? Is it because of ignorance? I don't know. But if it is because of pride, because you didn't get to choose it for yourself, I hate to say it, but get over yourself. Again, you were not able to save yourself. We are dead in our trespasses. So praise God, he intervened. And so what is free will then? Do we even have free will? Yes, we still do have free will. He gave us the ability to think and to reason and to be creative and to make decisions for ourselves. But if at any time God wanted to intervene and override you, he can. That is the difference between free will and what we call autonomy. He didn't make us as robots who are not able to think for themselves beyond their programming. He gave us the ability to make our own decisions. But when it comes to spiritual truth, it says that we are born into a sinful nature, and we would never choose God in our own flesh. So he must intervene. And that is why it says none of our salvation is of us. It is a gift of God, because otherwise we would have something to boast about. So praise God that he demonstrates his sovereignty in his creation and by overriding the free will of his people. But the other 99.9% of your life, you get to make your own decisions. So just be happy with that. Moving to Psalm chapter 15. It's a very short psalm, but it so accurately describes the character of a person who qualifies to be a guest of God. And when I say a guest of God, it's because David asks, who is able to go into your tent? Who is able to abide on your holy hill? The tent and the holy hill are God's, and we are invited into it. And when you invite someone over to your house, you are inviting guests. They are not natural residents of that place, but instead you are inviting them to join you for a while. And so we are the same way in the economy of God. We are guests into God's kingdom and into God's family. So he asks the question, who is able to be with you, Lord? And then he goes through the qualities of people who are able to be in his presence. These are characteristics that should exist within us as Christians that are pleasing to God. God loves integrity. God loves righteousness. God loves speaking the truth. He hates slander. He hates evil. He hates damaging relationships. But what he demands from his people is that they fear him. And then it lists a few things like swearing to their own hurt, not changing, not putting their money out at interest or taking bribes. 
you can sum those all up as being loving your neighbor as yourself. You do these things, and it says at the end of this psalm that you will never be shaken. Meaning that in the hardships of life, in the difficulties we go through, you're never going to stop following God. That's a sign of maturity. There are not a lot of people who can claim to do this, and quite frankly, I haven't mastered it either. Because when things get hard for me, or I allow my old habits to get in the way, I drift away, and I have to be drawn back. And I'm sure a lot of you understand what I'm talking about. But if we remain steadfast and immovable in God, by not allowing other distractions into our lives, by wholly devoting ourselves to him, then we will stay firm. Think about the first psalm that we read in this book. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. That idea of being so deeply rooted in God that you're not going to move. No matter what kind of wind or hail or earthquake happens in your life, then you're, you're going to stay put. And that's exactly where God wants you to be. So we need to be this person that is in this psalm. We need to be righteous people who are upright in deed and in word and attitude and even in finances. These qualities are not natural to men. This is very bizarre for people to be this way. People look at you funny when you're kind to them. People look at you cross-eyed when you say that you'll lend them money with no interest, or perhaps you don't have to even repay me anytime soon. These are very godly qualities, and they are not natural to men. Loving your enemies? That's bizarre. That is unheard of. But yet, this is the gateway to salvation. We are showing Christ to a fallen world through these characteristics. And it should be attractive to them because it's so different from the mainstream. This is the entry point for the gospel. And this is how God uses us to reach the lost. So remember, your righteousness is not for your own sake. You are secure in Christ. You're already going to heaven. But we were given a mission to save the lost. And so for the sake of those who see you in the public eye, you need to be a person of godly conduct, inside and out. Failure to do this is a failure to look different from the world. And if we mix in with the world, then God will mix us in with him in the final days. Because true, legitimate salvation demonstrates a transformed life. If there's no fruit, it's not real. Read our... <clears throat> With that, let's talk about the verse to memorize for today. Our scripture to memorize is going to be two verses, back to back, but they complete the thought. Psalm chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time.
Take care and God bless you.